Welcome to Conversation Mill. Join me as I talk to individuals stepping out to pursue their passions, from small business owners to community leaders, and learn with me how we can work together to support our local communities and local economies. Visit conversationmill.com to learn more, but now please join us in conversation. Imagine sitting in a room and being completely blindsided by strangers standing up and accusing you of being a danger to the community. But not just that you are a danger, that your friends and family are too, and that you are lying about your intentions, that you are a criminal in waiting. Our guest today experienced this in 2010 when working with the Islamic Society of Sheboygan to establish a place of worship for the Muslim community in the surrounding area. Dr. Mirza loves living in Wisconsin and was shocked by this experience, but persevered. Today we discuss what that time was like and how his faith impacts his professional career as a hospitalist, and how living his faith impacts the community around him. We cannot create meaningful community without talking to one another. Please join us now in conversation. So let's start with what motivated you to become a doctor? My mom. Yeah. (laughs) I was forced to be a physician in my family. Really? Okay. It's funny because one of the questions I have later on, which I guess we could just jump into right now, is can you share the story of your parents and what they wanted for you? Yeah. So, yeah, tell me a little bit about that. So... When I was undergrad, my major was uh, pre-pharmacy with uh, business, you know. Okay. So I did my pharmacy classes, and I was accepted to Long Island University, New York. So my plan was to go there. And my mom was pushing me, you know, you have to be a physician, you know, because you are five brothers, three older than you, none of them went to medical school. And... My, I'm losing my hope. <laughs> so you have to go to medical school. And she gave me a whole emotional, you know, blackmailing. And and I said, okay. So I estimated all my timing. You know, if I go to pharmacy school, it will take me another four years. And if I go to Caribbean medical school, it will take me three years. So I can actually be a physician before I become a pharmacist. Okay. So I calculated my time and... Finally, I said yes to her, and she was so happy. So I ended up going to Caribbean because that was a shortcut, much cheaper, inexpensive, and I was a physician within three years. <laughs> you know. Yeah. yeah. And once you made that decision, then you went, you started the classes. Did you get into it? Go, I really like this. Uh, or did it take a while? It took me a while, actually. I didn't like medicine until I went to my. Um, job actually after i finished my residency i did residency even after finishing medical school i was struggling so i went to research okay i didn't went to the practice i didn't went to the uh, residency training so i ended up going to columbia university new york for my research published few papers and then i went to the residency same place you know Mm -hmm. and afterwards i started liking it yeah and even after becoming a physician, after practicing, joining the hospital in Manitowoc, I went. I was planning to go back to dermatology, 
Because I'm like, maybe I should go dermatology. And my wife like, I know it's a lot of money, but I don't think you will like dermatology. Uh-huh. Because I can see you're going to be bored. <laughs> yeah. Know? Just seeing every day, same thing. So, and I really start liking medicine like crazy. I like, I feel like I don't think I can do anything, anything else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, you are a hospitalist, correct? I'm a hospitalist, yes. Can you explain to us what that is? Hospitalist is your primary doctor in the hospital. So let's say, God forbid, something happened to any of us and get admitted to the hospital. The patient's primary care physicians do not come to the hospital anymore all days, you know. Right. So now once you're admitted, the hospital doctor will be your doctor, manage everything. And that's called hospitalist. So I will be calling, you know, if I need to call cardiologist or lung specialist or heart specialist or... GI, so I'm the one who will decide, okay, yes, you need to see this, you need this test, you know. So I work in the ICU and on the medical floor. And which hospital are you currently working at? Currently I'm working at West Dallas Memorial. Okay. And then you're also the hospitalist director up uh, for Aurora in Sheboygan as well? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I do that remotely. Okay. Because I used to be director there and something happened and... They don't have a director, so I was asked as a favor. Okay. Um, You've created a mobile device (coughs) for deep vein thrombosis. Can you tell us a little bit about deep vein thrombosis, what it is, and then what is this device that you've created? Yeah, so it's a very funny story how I came up with the idea. So I used, initially when I became hospitalist, I was doing combined practice. So I was doing clinic and the hospitalist. So I used to do three weeks of clinic and then one week of hospital medicine straight, no clinic in that week. Okay. So so one of the week I was in the clinic, I saw at least four or five patients with DVT, which is a deep venous thrombus, which can happen in your legs and then after prolonged sitting, and there are multiple other risks, people who can develop blood clots in the legs. Okay. And that can travel to your lungs and you can die with it, you know. Mm-hmm. So I had quite a few cases just in one week. And it was a um, summertime. And these patients were travelers, somebody coming from Arizona, from Florida. Uh, we call them the uh, snowbirds. Yeah. So they want to come back. And then I had like two cases of my patients who were drivers, uh, truck drivers. I'm like, what happened? So I start thinking why we cannot prevent these? Mm-hmm. Because we do great job in the hospital to prevent that because we know patients are lying down all the time. So they get DVTs. To prevent that, we give them blood thinner injection and we put them those those massager on their legs Okay. to pump their veins sure. so they don't get the blood clots. So I'm like, why cannot we make those same SCDs, we call them sequential compression devices, those massager, why not make them as a portable? Mm. So I started searching. There was nothing at that time. No, there are some in the market, but at that time, there was nothing. That's what I'm talking about 13, 14 years ago. Yeah. You know, so I hired the lawyer. He did all the research for me. He couldn't, he said, there's no patent for anything like that. So I got my patent valued and we designed the whole thing, got the patent and we started working on it. So now we use it for people who are in the hospital going home and they're not going to be moving around or people who travel, so especially for travelers. Yeah. You know? 
Wow. And how long was that process from coming up with the idea to having a finished product? I'll say probably four to five years. Okay. Wow. And did you need any special, what would I call it, license or um, because it was a medical device, did you need it to get it approved? Yeah. yeah. So it is patent for different diagnosis, uh, sorry, different, um, not diagnosis, I will say, uh, different treatments. Okay. Okay. Preventions. So for instance, somebody doesn't have a blood, um, good arterial blood circulation and their wounds and they're not healing, especially diabetics, you know. Sure. Uh, people who has a venous insufficiency, their veins don't work very well and their legs are always swollen and there is for blood clots. Okay. You know? So that and then DVT prevention for travelers. So there are three, three uh, the patent for three ideas on the same device and there are different settings. Okay. The fourth one is a lymphedema. People have a surgeries and or chronic blood flow issues and they become, they have their lymphatic channels are blocked and their legs are swollen and they get infections all the time. Mm-hmm. So it also prevents that. So um, initially, uh, after we developed that, pattern was the most important thing. Sure. You know, and then FDA. FDA is the only thing I'm still stuck. So we are using this as a non-medical device right now. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Because FDA is a big process. Yeah. And how it's, long do you think that process will take or will it ever come? No, it probably, I will say six more months. Okay. We are right there. Okay. Yeah. So it's a... It was not the process for me. It was the money mm. for me because it cost a lot of money. Sure. So. Wow. Yeah. Um, now, is your mom still living? Yeah. Okay. Is. So is she yeah. super proud now? Because not only are you a doctor, <laughs> but you're creating medical devices. Oh, she is. She's very happy. <laughs> um, can you tell us a little bit about your parents? Um, now, were they born and raised here or were there, were they immigrants here? Actually, my dad came here in his mid-30s, or late, I will say late-30s. Maybe he was 38 or 40, something like okay. that. Okay. And where was yeah. he coming from? Pakistan. Okay. Yeah. So he came here, and then uh, he used to be a, I think they used the word train engineers here, but the one who take the train from one station to other, like Amtrak. Sure. Yeah. What they call them, railway guard in Pakistan. So Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's what his job was. And my mom was a homemaker. Okay. Uh, she's still a homemaker. And uh, my dad came with my other older two brothers mm-hmm. initially. And then later on, he decided that, okay, I think you guys are grown up. You have some common sense. You guys can be migrated here also. Yeah. So then he migrated us here. Okay. Yeah. Coming into an area here in Wisconsin that you're in now, now, this, this isn't where you originally moved when you came to the U.S., correct? Where yeah. where was your family living? Uh, New York, New Jersey. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So you were moving into an area that had a lot more immigrants. Oh, yeah. For sure than probably yeah. this area he, that you're in now here in Wisconsin. Yep. Definitely. So what was the transition when you ended up coming here to Wisconsin? Did you feel like you faced any discrimination um, moving to this area? I define it differently, you know, mm-hmm. uh, because I think it all has to do with your status. Sure. Okay. If you are a person like me working in a factory, you may be treated differently. Mm-hmm. But if you have a white coat on and you walk in the hospital, staff, 
patients, everybody look at you differently. Mm-hmm. That's that's my, you know, take on that because yeah. I have experienced racism or you know, um, road rage when somebody does not know I'm a physician. Sure, you know, so it's a big difference. People do respect your status. They mm-hmm. do. I don't. Know, it's called respect or whatever. I don't know. I will not call that respect, but whatever it is, mm-hmm. you know. So your status and your profession is a, you know, it's 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 in the middle. Yeah. You know, if you remove that, then people may treat you differently. Mm-hmm. You know. How does your faith impact your career? Um, it's impacts in a way that I will stay away from dishonesty. Let's put it this way. Yes. You know, like any time I want to get out of something, I'm like, you know what? I don't want to see this patient and I want to be, you know, left alone, give it to somebody else. And then this is like once in a rare moment. And then my faith will come and like, you can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, back to basics. Yeah. 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 Hey, that's a that's an amazing way for your faith to impact yeah. your career. Yeah. So like I have to do it, you know. Now, back in 2010, you were the public relations coordinator for what would become the Sheboygan Mosque. Yep. Um during that time, you and those trying to open the mosque faced a lot of backlash from the surrounding communities. Can you tell us about that experience? Sure. First of all, I never expected that, to be honest with you. Mm. That's what I'm telling you when you ask me, you know, you moved here and how did you feel about, you know, discrimination or not? Mm -hmm. So once the white coat is off and I ask for something else, then you see how the true color and, you know, the true face shows up that, uh-huh. hey, we don't like you. Yeah. You know, you are not welcome here. Yeah. You know, so it was weird, actually. Um, I and we hired the lawyer because I don't deal with properties in that way. Like, you know, you have to convert to a commercial property into a religious place. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of paperwork. I don't know anything about it. So I, you know, or our group hired the uh, attorney. Yeah. So we do the right things. We don't want to do anything illegal or anything which is out of the book. Sure, of course. Yeah. So we hired the lawyer. So I went with the lawyer. We arranged the uh, meeting, but they said, you cannot make any meeting like that. You have to come to the board meeting, the the town, town meeting, mm-hmm. you know, every month, whatever they do, bring your idea and we'll talk about it and then we move forward from that. So they added that to the agenda to the board meeting, apparently whole town reads that agenda. I don't know that they do. I never had my town's agenda. Uh-huh. <laughs> so so I went with my attorney. It was crazy. The town hall was full. And I thought maybe everybody have issues in the town. You know, what's going on? I had no idea. Wow. So as soon as our turn came to explain, and after my attorney and I, you know, I just said something simple, you know, we want to open it. We have... More than 150 Muslim families been living here for 30 years, but they don't have any place to worship, and that's why we want to open it, you know. Yeah. And most of those Muslim people even don't know they are Muslim because they are European, you know. Mm. So they look like fair skin, blue eyes, blonde hair. You're not going to say, 
tell them by that typical Muslim look vision people have in mind. Right. You know? So all of a sudden, oh my God, everybody starts speaking up. Oh, we cannot have a mosque there. We don't want terrorists in our backyard. How do we know? What are they going to be training there? They're going to have a jihadist camp there. And, you know, oh, I'm wow. like, oh my God, right and left. And oh, I could not walk after the meeting done. And my lawyer, he was also kind of shocked. He's like, Dr. Mirza, are you okay? So he took me to a cafe, actually. He said, I don't feel like you can walk. Yeah. So I, I could not drive. So I went in his car to the cafe neighbor, ne- uh, nearby. Right. And we sat and I had a, you know, water, drink, you know. Yeah. And then I had a coffee and then I felt a little better after he talked to me, calmed me down. He said, don't worry. Mm-hmm. It's not the opinion issue. It's the legality issue. And city will approve it eventually you have you don't worry about it you know yeah and i'm like i'm not worried that much but i'm worried about these people hate me so much i never knew that wow you know or people like me yeah i mean as soon as they find out about your faith mm-hmm. i mean i probably have treated some of them in the hospital sometime in the last 10 years yeah you know i didn't know you know wow. i don't remember names who i treat in the hospital i just treat them and boom yeah you know next one so it was just so it was very shocking. Were mm. you were you afraid to move forward out of safety at all? My wife was a little scared, you know, mm-hmm. because once the whole process started, as the process moved forward, it became a talk of the town and talk of the country and everybody in the social media, especially Facebook and the groups of the local newspaper chat groups. Everybody's threatening and saying things, you know. So my family was scared more than I was. Okay. You know, and they're like, no, you should not be part of this. Let somebody else build it. You should not be in the media. I said, listen, I'm not worried about it. Yeah. I do. I have a very strong faith that this country constitution always supersede, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever happened at the end of the day, you know, we will be fine. Once the mosque was open, how... Were you guys able to start bridging that gap of being, you are part of the community in Sheboygan County. I mean, you're there. Yeah. How do you, or how did you and the the congregation, and maybe that's not the right word to be using, um, bridge that gap between people's understanding in the community and, and what you were representing? Actually, you know, I, I, you know, I always say that People have a different opinion about Muslims uh, if they know them by knowing them, action, working with them, being neighbor with the Muslims, you know, being Mm -hmm. friend with them. They have totally different opinion about Muslims. Mm -hmm. And the other group has a different opinion about Muslims if they know Muslims through media or social media or hear and say from somebody else. Sure. You know, from their church or whatever they go to. So it's a very different opinion. So the best way is to know each other. Yeah. So what we did is as soon as the mosque was approved, you know, we start doing public reach so people know who we are and be a friends with us. So all the neighbors, you know, it was a farmland. Yeah. We had only a few neighbors and, and then the town people. Uh, we invited everybody to the mosque, you know, a few times. You know, we had an open house. 
uh, and it was very successful, you know. Mm-hmm. And I believe, you know, when you offer food, free food and water, everybody will come to, you know, the meeting. Yeah. So it was very successful. That's great. And people start coming and we went some, then start, uh, some churches start inviting us, mm. you know, to give a talk and introduction to Islam. And so it went very well, actually. Yeah. So, so we had no event. I mean, we did have a few events. Uh, you know, uh, somebody broke the board outside. Um, somebody left some bad signs, but sure. only in the beginning. Yeah. And after that, we never had any event actually. What is the current status of um, the mosque operating in full? Still a part of the community? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's working. Uh, full time. We have a weekend school. Um, weekdays, it is a little out of the community reach. Mm-hmm. So weekdays, not many people come. But weekend and the Friday, mm-hmm. uh, it's busy. What is any religious organization's role in communities, in your opinion? I think the most important, what I feel for any faith is that bring the harmony. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, don't bring up your kids with extreme views. Mm-hmm. Because that's what, because intolerance builds more intolerance. Yes. And that, you know, you ask, what do you call it? You become enemy instead of being friends. Mm. Your tolerance is gone. You can't hear the other side of the view. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the problem. And you mentioned it a little bit earlier, but talk to us a little bit more about how we blend different cultures and different belief systems to be able to coexist, but without losing our individual cultures. The prime example is USA, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, America, I still say the best country where you can live the way you want, mm-hmm. apparently, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, you can follow your religion. Nobody's going to force you to leave your religion, mm-hmm. okay? So it has to do with the parent- parenting, you know, as long as the you do not teach your kid, in you know, to to stray away in the meantime you not uh, let's put it this way make sure your kids are not trained in a way that they push their faith on somebody else mm-hmm. you know sure but make sure also that they know their faith is very important to them yes you know so once you do that you know i i tell my kids you know and i give them logic mm. you know i give them logic about everything you know, okay, why water is liquid and why it is essential, you know. Mm-hmm. So you cannot just say, okay, I want to drink five, you know, bottle of water, I will be healthy, but why? So mm-hmm. I give them logic, you know. Behind my faith, there's a logic why we pray five times a day, mm-hmm. you know. Why we clean ourselves five times a day to stay clean. Mm-hmm. It's so healthy to be a clean person, Yes. you know. Why do we fast 30 days in Ramadan? And how it cleans up toxins from our body, you know, it makes you feel so pure, and f- you understand how, how it feels to be hungry, mm-hmm. how it feels to be not having your water, you know, mm-hmm. how it feels good to do charity for those thirty days every day. You do, you're doing some sort of charity, mm-hmm. you know. So they understand logics behind it. And then the Prophet Muhammad, who we follow, how he, you know, did all these things and how he achieved. Within 20, 25 plus years, change the whole environment of the other world. Mm-hmm. So 
he was a poor man. He was not a rich guy. He didn't have a huge army behind him, which myth about Islam is Islam spread with the sword. He was alone. Mm-hmm. He didn't have any war to convert anybody, mm-hmm. you know. So who he affected with his culture, with his uh, character, you mm-hmm. know. So how do you spread that message of the root of Islam and what it is versus the stereotypes, the negative stereotypes that still exist from, and, and this was not planned, uh, that it's September 14th and we just remembered September 11th, but all the negative connotation that's tied back to that terrible day from a few extremists, so how do you now go out into the community and have these conversations about what your faith is and what it means to you um, in juxtaposition of that? Because there's still a lot of ill will towards maybe not you or other practicing <laughs> Muslims per se or mm-hmm. Pakistanis or uh, a race thing, but more so your faith your religion actually you know it is like i said you have to reach out to the community mm-hmm. that's the only way you could do that mm-hmm. and other is um bias against islam mm-hmm. and how can you get rid of the bias the only way you could do is you reach out to the community you reach out to the media hiding in a cave make things worse mm-hmm. i think the early immigrants when they came you know, and there are some still there, actually, a lot of in Jersey City. New immigrants come, they don't simulate with anybody. They just go to the same mosque who speak uh, their language in the speeches and everything. And the young generation even don't understand what they're saying and they just walk out without any message. Yeah. You know, so that makes a big difference. You know, and they just stay isolated. People don't know who you are, you know. You go talk to them. So I don't blame the people neither. In the, you know, partially, mm-hmm. it's the uh, Muslims' uh, leadership fall too, not reaching out to the communities. Sure. You know, but no things have changed a lot mm-hmm. with the social media and more educated community, the first and second generation growing up here, understanding the culture, mm-hmm. you know, so they can get the common ground where they can talk about it. Yeah. Um, are there questions that people could ask you? regarding your faith that you would find offensive and if there is or if there isn't what kind what kind of questions should we be asking if we're curious about islam it's not the much of the question it's making you know comments and joking about you know or don't blow up or you know something find a word and then say it and then say oh no it's a joke you know Mm -hmm. so it's just like it's not a joke to use n-word you know with right. your friends, you know. It's not a joke to make fun of Holocaust, you know, mm-hmm. with your Jewish friends, you know. So that type of thing, that bothers, you know. And um, I think the best way is always you tell them it is offensive. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes um, you don't tell your friends or so-called friends or people you company with. I think you should be straightforward. Hey, it was offensive, mm-hmm. you know. What kind of questions can those of us who didn't grow up being educated on Islam, 
What kind of questions are appreciated by somebody like you if we do have questions? You know, if you ask simple question about the faith, like what do your simple belief is, mm-hmm. you know, and what do you guys do in Ramadan, you know, mm-hmm. something to gain knowledge, mm-hmm. okay? When you ask a question to disrespect, mm-hmm. you know, it has the answer itself in it. Yeah. You know, the answer of hate and you know what you're saying, mm-hmm. you know, making mockery of Prophet Muhammad or making fun of, you know, his personality, you know, and making fun of the Holy Quran, you know, that what we don't like. Mm-hmm. Making fun of Sharia, you know, Sharia. And then people even don't know what Sharia is and they will be acting and talking like they are PhD on Sharia. Mm-hmm. You know, they have no idea what Sharia even means. Yeah. You know. Can you tell us a little bit about Sharia now? Oh, sure, sure. So basically, a lot of people say Sharia law. First right. of all, that's a wrong word. Sharia itself means a law. So you cannot say law, law, you know? Yes. So it's a Sharia. It's Islamic Sharia. I mean, Islamic law. Mm. Okay? So it's like Islamic principles. For instance, Muslims should not uh, take um, interest or give interest. You know, we do interest-free uh, economy. Okay. So this way, nobody's going bankrupt. Mm. You know, I mean, after you're paying 20 years of mortgage for your house and you lose a job, you lose the house. Right. All your money is gone to bank. Have a right. nice day. It doesn't happen in Islamic world. Okay. You know, so that's it's one of the Sharia. So Sharia is like, you know, you respect somebody, you are honest at work, you know, but if you steal something, you may get punished and this will be the punishment based on the state law, mm-hmm. you know. So th- that's a Sharia. Fear seems to be, and this is kind of going back a little bit to what you were saying about, you know, people asking offensive questions or telling offensive jokes. Fear seems to be at the root of a lot of that ignorance. We're afraid of learning about it because then our preconceived ideas are probably going to be smashed. Or we're just afraid because we've been taught to be afraid without really understanding why. Fear kind of is a universal connector where we all kind of Mm -hmm. seem to be afraid of something. But on a flip side of that, on a positive note, what do you believe are some of the things that universally connect us as humans that get us past these barriers of race or religion? Before I go to that, I think the fear is created Mm. by certain groups. Mm -hmm. So, and they are linked with different faith at a different time. Okay? Yeah. You can look at what happened with Holocaust, you know, what Hitler did, you know, with what Mussolini did in Italy, you know, in Libya, you know, what happened. Um, So in the last 40 to 50 years, what you see is in the, I will say in the last maybe 10 years, things have changed. But before that, if you look at every movie, every airplane will be hijacked by Muslim person and they will show him a long beard, you know, he's loving with his family or he's torturing his wife oppressed person so they made that vision idea and fear in the american public that that's how muslims are mm-hmm. you know and they have no idea how muslims are so they only learn from hollywood or whoever made that movie so they will show you he's praying in the airplane right after he's done his praying mm-hmm. you know he goes to the bathroom and bring the clutch and go and gun and he hijacks the plane now mm-hmm. and then he takes to iran or wherever 
You know, so I mean, mm-hmm. they have to build, and most of the movies are like that. Or yeah. the Iranian guy comes here, married with a white woman, and and kidnaps her and kids take her to there and force her to wear the hijab and force her to go to Islamic school and punish her and kick her. They have to build the fear that that's what Muslims are. Because every totally opposite. every story that was handpicked to make a movie out of is highlighting an extreme situation. Yes, exactly. I mean, how many women are abused in this country? Right. Millions. How many rapes happen? Most of the rapes happen in this country compared to the rest of the world. So I think mm-hmm. second is India. Or maybe second is first. Back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. We are one or two. We, we compete with each other on that. Mm-hmm. You know? You don't hear that in Islamic word. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Right. It's a different wow. word. Yeah. So... It's a fear is built based on that. And then people who are against their faith or whatever goals they have, they achieve their goals. Mm-hmm. What uh, Kind of on the second half of that question, what are some of the things that connect us other than fear that we can look to, even if somebody is in the community going, well, I'm a Bible-believing Christian, for instance, or I'm a practicing Buddhist. I don't believe in Islam Mm-hmm. what can connect us though? Because we still have to exist as a community. And we've done that here in America, as you mentioned, we are a melting pot and we've done it successfully for a long time, but we still have these pockets within our country where our neighborhoods are becoming segregated again, or, um, you know, there's division, uh, mm-hmm. being created again. What do we look to, to connect us? I think humanity is first, you know, your religion goes on the side. Mm. Humanity is first. And Islam teaches humanity, mm. you know. And uh, it's a public relationship is the most important thing. So, for example, it is obligated on a Muslim person that you, you have rights. Your, sorry, your 40 neighbors on the right and the left have rights on you. That's freaking almost whole town. Yeah. Not whole town, but... Whole neighborhood. It could be know? a whole town of yeah. a small town. Yeah. yeah, you know. So, so make sure you take care of them. If one of them is in trouble, you're supposed to know that. Mm. So your relationship with them, it should be so good that you know them. I think mm. once you are a, such a good person, and you know, I'm not saying every Muslim is following the faith, but unfortunately, they're not. I wish they were. Just imagine how good the community will be. Yeah. If you follow the real roots of Islam. What a great. Know? policy though for yeah. anyone yeah your 40 neighbors to your right and your 40 neighbors yeah, to your left 80 80, fam- 80 families 80 houses oh my god that's yeah. a lot of houses but once you know them you know them yep you know and that's the definition of community yeah, it's exactly. those people that are in proximity to you and yeah. then being able there to help yeah. each other yep mm-hmm. i mean islam is so strict that if you're cooking a meat and you feel that your neighbor may not have eaten meat for ages because old days meat was the most expensive thing to have. Mm-hmm. Don't cook it or cook it in a way that it just should not smell, should not go there. Mm-hmm. You better share with them. Yeah. You know? You said you love living in Wisconsin. And maybe people would be surprised by that. I'm not really surprised by that because <laughs> I've grown up here, was born and raised here. But can you tell us why you love Wisconsin so much and why you like being here in Milwaukee? I think overall people are very nice, mm. you know. Even my brothers, you know, when they visit me here from New Jersey and if they go in the sh- shop or, you know, um, do some shopping or ride, 
go to park and when they come they're like man people this is a different breed <laughs> my one of my brother always says that this is a different breed this uh-huh. is not america because i'm like you are used to jersey city uh-huh. it's totally different you know nobody have a time for anybody they may just smack you and walk away yeah you know? you're like what did i do <laughs> yeah you know? you know oh wow so it's a different world uh-huh. you know it's very peaceful that's what i say it's a very peaceful i love to hear that yeah. Who are some of the modern Muslim scholars or teachers that we should be listening to now to learn more? There's a quite quite a bit of them, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am a big fan of our local scholars, you know. Okay. Yeah. And there's the one scholar Dr. Shah. Okay. S H A H Sezulf Karsha. He's an author. He wrote so many historical books and he published recently published very good textbooks actually. Okay. You know. on interfaith. Okay. You know, and also the Islamic history in the US. Oh. You know, centuries okay. ago. So there were Muslim in this country and he did whole research on it. So and he's PhD in Islamic studies. So he's a great scholar. He's one of the imams at the ISM, the Islamic Society of Milwaukee. Okay. You know. So I actually listen to him a lot. But there's a lot of good scholars, you know. I mean Hamza, you know, Hamza Yusuf, there's a lot of them. Okay. Yeah. I'll definitely link to his work in our show notes so if people are interested they can oh, yeah. find him and learn about his Oh sure, I can send you some name of his books. Oh my god, amazing. Great. Amazing. I will definitely yeah. include those links. Um you at the beginning of uh this podcast we talked about how it was really your mom who pushed you into a medical career. If um somebody came to you and and maybe your kids already have I don't know but if someone comes to you and said they're considering med school or getting into the medical field what would be your advice to them They have to like it and don't go for the money. Mm. Okay? Because people have perception if you're a physician you're rich. You know, you have a beautiful life as a physician no doubt. I yeah. mean financially you're very stable. Mm-hmm. But if you thinking you're going to be a millionaire and just like a rich businessman now you won't be yeah unless you are a businessman physician yeah there are a lot of ideas i don't know so it's it's a different but if you love medicine it's it's a beautiful mm-hmm. field i love medicine you know if you could sit down with one person in the medical field and have a conversation who would that person be i have a good friend actually yeah <laughs> yeah His name is Dr. Sadiqi. Okay. You know, yeah. Yeah, very intelligent guy. Mhm. I mean, he is a I call call him a sea of the medicine, you know. Uh-huh. He's amazing. Uh, he has a private practice. He's a international radiologist. Okay. You know. Is he the gentleman who just opened a clinic his own clinic in Sheboygan? Yes. I am I was just speaking to a friend about his practice and so interested to learn what he's doing there so oh, i may yeah. need you to connect me with him oh definitely he is amazing what a smart guy yeah i i became friends with him when i started to work in shiboygan okay so it is so strange that he was sitting in the physician lounge i heard of his name that he's in the community and he does these special procedures in those days these were new kyphoplasties and you know the back surgeries without cutting and anything you know So I was like who is this guy? I want to know who he is. And yeah. and second day I have passed by him a few times but I didn't know it is him. You know? 
and um, he was sitting and he, and third day finally i introduced myself you know that i'm the new hospitalist here at aurora shubhogya memorial and he's like oh oh you're mansoor i said yes oh i'm avais is that's his first name so oh, nice meeting with you and then we became very good friend and months later he tells me man i thought you are a very arrogant person <laughs> you, you you walked by me twice and never said hi to me <laughs> So I said, I thought you are a very arrogant person because you know you just walk straight. <laughs> so, oh, I so, love that. Yeah. So he was the director of the radiology, and later on, obviously, I became the director of the medicine program, and I was the chairman of the department of medicine. So, so everything something happened between our department and surgery. Then I have to talk to him, and yeah. we are friends also. And then he um, he quit from there, you know, mm-hmm. because he wanted to go independent. So he made a huge practice in Milwaukee. you know and it went so successful that within 3 years he's back and he made his own surgery center there i mean you know interventional radiology center if you could sit down with anyone living or dead outside of the medical field and have a conversation who would you love to sit down with i want to be sitting with my childhood friends to be honest with you mm. i miss them yeah I've been here since 1988 in this country mm-hmm. and some of them I have not seen them since then. I went few time back but they're all in their own field or they're out of the country. Yeah. I went to Pakistan few times and I have never seen them. So I talked to them now finally got with the social media, you know, they're all successful, you know, some of them back home, some of them from other countries mm-hmm. and they're very successful. And I want to see them, not yeah. just one person. Yeah. You know. That's beautiful. I love that. Yeah. I just want to see my childhood friends. Have you ever considered moving back to Pakistan or are so, you pretty rooted here? I'm pretty rooted here. I don't have anybody there. I mean, I have only distant cousin mm-hmm. and one of my mom's two nephews live there. Mm-hmm. And they're living there with their own choice because one of them used to live here and he moved back. He didn't like the culture. He like my kids are not going to grow up right. Mm-hmm. He moved back. He's very successful. I really I do think sometimes like maybe I should mm-hmm. retire and go back home. Yeah. You know, live in the mountains. Yeah. You know? What p- part of Pakistan is your family from? My family is from Lahore, which is a very, you know, crowded big city. Okay. Uh my that was my mom's side. My father's side was very like countryside, like a Manitowoc. Okay. small town. Okay. You know, it's called Malakwal, very similar to Manitowoc, Malakwal. <laughs> it's with M also. Uh-huh. And uh, I grew up in a very small town, you know, surrounded mm-hmm. by farms, you know, um a small country uh, side by the town. Sit our town was a kind of a city, but then within a few miles then you just get all the farms around. Okay. Yeah, very simple life. Very simple life. If you could leave our listeners um with anything today or anything that we didn't cover uh in our conversation what would you like to leave with our listeners today i will only say um nothing about the faith mm-hmm. but what i will say is if you got power or money don't become arrogant mm you know mm that's a big problem yeah and that goes long ways not for people it's for countries too yeah. all the richer countries rich countries are controlling the poor countries mm-hmm. you know through money through fear 
through weapons, you know, and then the, those countries' leaders with their power, they're controlling their people. And then below there, somebody else rich covering somebody else. Just always power. Yeah. You know, that should not make you arrogant. Wow. Thank you for leaving us with that. I think that is one of the kind of foundational cornerstones, if you will, to the idea of starting this podcast is let's talk to people who are in our communities, creating real change, making a real difference, contributing to the 40 houses on the right and the left versus seeking power, seeking money, greedy, arrogant, um, that comes with that kind of power. And how do we get back to the basics of our community and knowing each other? So thank you so much for taking the time out today and sharing your experiences with us and teaching us something. I know I learned something today and I'm sure our listeners have too. Thank you so much. I learn every day from everybody. So (laughs) that's the way it is. We learn from each other. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. In the episode, Dr. Mirza mentions the rape rates for India and the U.S. I wanted to share the latest stats of the top five countries for rape by population size. This is the number of rapes per 100,000 people. Botswana, Lesotho, which Lesotho is one of the world's three independent states completely surrounded by the territory of another country, and it is surrounded by South Africa. Botswana, Lesotho, South Africa, Bermuda, and Sweden are the top five countries for rape by population size. The top five country by number of rapes annually are the U.S., India, United Kingdom, Mexico, Bangladesh. These statistics are from worldpopulationreview.com and, of course, do not factor in unreported rapes. Thank you for being a listener of Conversation Mill. The podcast is growing, but we need your continued support in the form of comments, likes, and subscriptions. If you've enjoyed even one episode, please take two minutes to comment under the episode or the podcast itself, or rate the podcast. Hitting the subscribe button wherever you listen to the podcast helps tremendously. Every like and subscribe helps me support local businesses and local nonprofits by giving them a platform to tell their stories. Together, we can foster the understanding, diversity, and economies that make our individual communities flourish while creating our own community here at Conversation Mill. Also, you can join us at conversationmill.substack.com where you can become a member and receive weekly member-only content, including member-only episodes. I look forward to sharing a new conversation with you next week. And as always, thank you for your support.